0: This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to Clued In with Lou Carbone a thought-provoking opportunity to expand your perspectives and advance the impact you can make in the CX, EX, and patient experience space. Lou's undeniable combination of the depth of experience and knowledge in this space is unparalleled. As a driver inside organizations, as well as consulting, Lou offers distinctive thought stimulation as a dedicated mentor and teacher.
1: Hello, my guest today is Mike Wittenstein. I've known Mike for several decades, actually, and Mike is absolutely one of the most unbelievable people that I've met on my journey in experience management. He's gracious, he's kind, he's considerate, uh, and an absolute fantastic human being in addition to being an extraordinary intellect in the space and the work that he's done. Uh, We first met uh, when Mike was at IBM in the era when the internet was just beginning and it was called e-business at the time. And we've enjoyed a wonderful relationship over the years. Mike is in Atlanta, Georgia. Unfortunately, I'm in Minnesota, but whenever we get together, it is like no time lost. Mike, welcome. And I am so excited to share your perspectives and uh, Mike's area of expertise in terms of customer experience and mining the beauty in storytelling and the uh, the history of what he's done with that is just phenomenal.
0: Well, Lou, and- it's really good to be here. Thanks for such a warm, welcoming and humbling intro. It was really nice. Para gente no Brasil, hola, pessoal.
1: <laughs> excellent I, we, mike speaks multiple languages and uh we have followers in brazil with john Deere. and uh, i've always been impressed uh mike's international
0: capabilities are, are extraordinary you know lou let's start there um one of the things as you get older you learn things that you did, when you were really young, matter a lot more when you're older. You, you weren't smart enough to know that they mattered when you were young. And for me, that was being an exchange student in Brazil and the former Soviet Union. But um, particularly with regard to Brazil, I had the opportunity to live in the country for almost two years over several different stays, And that teaches you about what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes, when you go down there and you're in a different culture, eating different foods, following different rhythms and rituals, um, inter- the way you engage with people is different priorities, behavior for children, it's all different. And you're just your crutches are just kicked out from underneath you and you go through this kind of culture shock. But as you rebuild, um, you do that to the extent that you can let go of your Americanness or whatever your native culture is. And that skill probably more than any other, is responsible for being a good experience designer, because you have to be able to get into the skin of the people that you're trying to get a business to serve. So I just wanted to start off on that. You taught me that as well at IBM, and the older I get, the more important I understand it to be that you really have to see people the way they want to the way they want to be seen, not just the way that you think about them.
1: Mike, that's so powerful. There are so many organizations that are focused on how the organization wants to be seen versus how customers want to be seen. And um, how have you found over the years? And both of us have been at this a while. Over the years, how much progress do you feel has been made in terms of being able to do that? And when we have things like net promoter scores and people are looking at scores, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, how do we know that we're actually getting into the skin of the customer or the patient, yeah. whomever?
0: Yeah. Is it okay if we piss some people off today? Oh, that's fine. <laughs> this is to be provocative. <laughs> All right. So here, here's the deal. Um, I think that that kind of work happens at an individual not at a corporate level and not at an organization level. What I think has happened is um, as, as you were one of the first or the first to introduce customer experience thinking to the world, you came at it from an advertising perspective because that was your background, that was your training and your thinking back then. Now the space is dominated by larger statistics, predictive analytics, market research kinds of players. And their end game is to sell more of their systems. So what's happening is we're getting this really strong, you know, the, the meter's moving. It's been way over here for the longest time and you have to measure things first. If you don't measure them, how can you expect to make reliable progress? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. In a, in a static economy, and we have not been in a static economy ever in the history of the world, But in in one where you think every day is going to be the same, it kind of makes sense if you're the third or the fifth player and you want to kind of catch up to the big boys that you would want to do a fast follower or an incremental gains kind of strategy. In my opinion, there are certain things that you can improve using that kind of metrics. But if you're trying to gate your way forward, if you're trying to figure out the next new things that customers want, Looking at the past is not going to tell you. It's not like if the acceleration of a ball in science is like this, you can predict the rest of the swing. Yes, you can do that with math because gravity doesn't change. But customers are unpredictable. Competitors, our customer bases are changing because of COVID. The needs and wants and preferences of people are changing. How they want to interact, when they want to be interacted with, it's all up in the air. It's like one of those, you know gender reveal things. It's like all confetti in the air. So why would you think that you can look backward to look forward? It doesn't make any sense to me. In my opinion, where I hope the industry will go is a lot more on the personalization side, because we're now able, using the same tech that we kind of become beholden to, we're now able to understand people and in individual transactions and even anticipate what some of their needs are. I hope. more companies will choose to double down on that make their core operations more adaptive so they can meet the needs of more customers and not get everyone to follow in that let's be most efficient way of working because it's not efficient for customers it doesn't add value and it kind of slows the business down from doing the work that customers need it to do mike
1: that's so critical when you talk about adaptive we both have a very dear friend uh, Stephen Heckel was at IBM, my co-author in the very first article. And this idea of, of being adaptive, uh, it it seems as though what organizations think adaptive is, is fixing broken things versus uh, really the world of sensing and responding, sensing what customers don't even know themselves and how do you begin to respond. Uh, during the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about pivot, mm-hmm. and I, I, I loved your thoughts on pivoting versus being an adaptive organization. And I think a lot of people are really patting themselves on the back for pivoting from one industrial age make and sell to another industrial make and sell perspective versus really yeah. being adaptive. What would your message to those folks be in terms of that distinction that we're so aware of having been exposed to
0: Steve and his thinking over the years? let's, 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 Let's tease that out a little bit and spend a minute on this. First of all, what is a pivot? Some people believe that a pivot is a change in direction, you know, to head off into a new place. And you carry all the baggage and the capabilities and the people and the relationships with you. But you're in a kind of a new pattern. Some people like to make that shift one time, kind of like a reorg, and then they're just in a new rut. Okay, that's the primary definition of pivot. If you think about it from an an ice dancer or a gymnast or a hockey player's perspective, a pivot is where all the force of the entire person moves on just a little piece of, of blade on the ice and it changes their direction, but they don't just do it once, they do it hundreds of times during a game, sensing and responding to all the other activity that's going around so that collectively their team, the fans, the sponsors, all get a thrill, all get an experience, you know, more goals get scored, et cetera. But um, being agile is what that little pivot that a ballet dancer or a hockey player does they they look around they see what's going on they make an a near instant change but everything goes with it there's not a lot of tugging and pulling and meetings and powerpoint presentations hurt personalities it's just a natural way of kind of capturing the energy in a flow that's for the folks in california you get that capturing the energy <laughs> in a flow but being adaptive is a different state of being it's a different way to think about and run your organization it uh, it, in my my preference is to work in, run and consult to organizations that lean more toward being able to change on the fly as a natural matter of course. That that kind of ability is what separates humans who evolved through so many different um, variations over thousands and thousands or millions of years, perhaps, from species that just kind of died out because they never changed. Um, that's a starting point. We, we can go so many different directions with it.
1: No, I mean, when you look at uh, brands like uh, Polaroid and you look at Kodak and uh, the inability, uh, even though they, they might have thought they were uh, pivoting, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they were pivoting a business model, uh, pricing, traditional marketing, but missed the big picture. Yeah. Uh, in terms of being adaptive and understanding that the world around them was changing and we see this i saw it with howard johnson's restaurants which no one even remembers any longer but at one time they were so dominant mike and in, in in your travels and uh in organizations that you've worked with what is the the attitude that you're picking up uh between c-suite and people involved in customer experience and as I've seen such a variety, every organization is so different. What are the trends that you're seeing? Uh, there even, there's even talk that the CXO position will go away, uh, that it really is about a way of doing business, which I absolutely agree with. Um, but I would love your thoughts on, on that And in, in terms of uh, what they did is created another silo or department uh that
0: yeah. is a reporting department basically and hey. fix it yeah Let, let's tackle it this way i'm going i'm going to go off to the side for a minute lou and, and talk about a, a retail experience and a customer service and then i want you to help me remember to come back because i have a, a point nope. that i want to make all right so imagine going into a retailer any retailer about 10 years ago you go in you have a problem. It can be while you're in the store. It can be with a return. It can be at checkout, something about payments or layaway or whatever it is. They can't handle it on the store floor or at the register. So where do they send you? To the customer service department, of course. You go to the desk. And what's interesting about the design of that kind of business is The reason they have a customer experience department is they know that the business isn't designed to meet the needs of all the customers. It's designed to meet the needs of the perfect customer, the one who walks in and performs just the way the engineers and the store layout and planogram people and the inventory turn and the OSHA and the security and all the other people want them to perform. They want their customers to behave, bottom line. So anything else goes over to the goodwill of the people who can work around the system and who know three or four different green screen technologies, and they kind of make something happen and placate the customer. What a terrible design. They were For years and decades, they sacrificed the opportunity of learning or sensing what it was that customers were asking for and doing the hard and valuable work of putting that into their mainline systems. Some of the online banks that have just emerged out of nowhere with no hardware no no retail infrastructure excuse me no re- real estate infrastructure have gone exactly the opposite direction and they're doing gangbusters they've designed their entire operation around a let's learn and continuously evolve let's be adaptive and let's make it right by customers first and right by shareholders second those companies are doing amazingly well it's just so hard for people to step out of the way they were trained and uh, we've got to do this for shareholders. Shareholder primacy is all that matters. You know, the businesses that are all concerned about shareholder primacy are the ones that are falling off the fastest from the Fortune 500. And that includes everything from services to, in, you know, in mining, um, basic services uh, that run our economy and things like that. Customers don't care about shareholders. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, the uh, the obsession with shareholders. Uh, When I first created the uh, chief experience officer in in our organization, it was meant to be the CEO (laughs) who has the ultimate responsibility for all of the experiences versus just the shareholders experience. Yeah. And um, then it became CX chief experience officers everywhere uh, as a department, which was sort of quasi complaint department metrics. Uh, let's fix the broken things. But what they haven't been able to do is change the systemic nature of the business. And and that can only happen starting in the
0: C-suite. I agree. You know, um, I think that what happened, Lou, is CX came in as this new role. And in, in some places, they were able to build it into a department and it actually got a few things done. But it was always pushing against The rest of the organization. It had to fight for every inch. What other departments were doing was focusing on, um, you know, what should we repair? What should we replace? What are our numbers and how profitable or productive we are? And CX got kind of crammed into that same thinking. And I don't believe that's the highest and best use for customer experience. I believe it can be a place of innovation, of clear vision about the future, of balancing perspectives, and of making every business, every process, every transaction a little bit more human. And Because of COVID, we all know personally how important it is to be human with each other. So if I had to rename it, it would be the humanizing team, but uh, it it can't just be its own separate little thing. The, The highest and best use is either to use it as an umbrella for guiding the entire organization, or as kind of a a, a positive virus that kind of goes in and infects the rest of the organization. So for me, the highest and best use is about change management and culture development of an organization.
1: Mike, a project that we worked on together, um, I was looking through uh, old files uh, in preparation for a talk today, and uh, it was a fast food company, uh, which will remain nameless, but uh, I was <laughs> I was I was looking at the work that we did on store of the future, and I was looking at comments that we made about drive-through, mm-hmm. and the percent of business that was going through drive-through, yet the lack of innovation in drive-through. And what we quoted was we said ever since Wendy's put a hole in the wall, and created drive-through, there hasn't been much innovation or much thought. And as we entered into COVID, I'd watch these lines backed up. And what we had talked about was adaptability, multiple lanes, things like In and Out does, where they'll actually put people out there to accelerate and create greater velocity through. Mm-hmm. And I was just amazed that um, in COVID, people were like, oh my God, what do we do? People are using drive through only at Dairy Queen. Uh-huh. <laughs> And the thing is, is probably sixty percent of their business was drive-through to begin with.
0: Yeah, and now it's like ninety-nine percent for some restaurants, like Chick-fil-A, yes. based here in Atlanta. Do you guys have uh, standalone restaurants in Minneapolis from Chick-fil-A, or or just we uh, do? We do. An okay.
1: uh, yeah. extraordinary organization, uh, very very unique. The clues and signals from that organization are, are very very strong. Um, in terms of i mean even closing on a sunday uh it really talks to virtues of a company now not everyone may agree with the virtues uh yeah. and virtues are you know values are something that you state virtues are living the values mm-hmm. and uh, i think it's that, the evidence yeah yes exactly exactly but it's uh,
0: interesting about the mcdonald's thing um I've I've looked at that and shared that story many times over the years, but it took them 18 years to really introduce that concept in the U.S. A lot of other concepts were going all over the world. That's more their experimentation center than the U.S. is. But in 2018, they released that drive through experience, and there's still a lot of room for improvement for all of them.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Those. Those were. We've. We've had so much fun together over the years. Uh, it has been unbelievable. Mike. Um. One of the. Uh. I, I, one of the questions that I, I like to ask. Uh. Is based on the work that that we've done with unconscious thought over the years, and that is when you think of the state of the experience of being in the experience world. Mm-hmm. what image comes to mind if you were to think of an image what would that image be
0: you know when i look at the the mass of job descriptions and every once in a while i'll read some of the job descriptions that come out of atlanta or other cities just to kind of see what they're looking for and um the image that comes to my mind is a big beautiful gate and everybody's just kind of pushing into that gate, but the closer they get to the front, the more of their ideals they have to give up because the job descriptions are set so that you have to meet this requirement and this one and do it this way and you can't touch this and this idea, sacrosanct. And by the way, you have dotted line relationships to these people who can tug at you at any time. There's really no room for innovation here. We really don't care what you think. We just think we need this position and here it's it's impossibly complicated and go do your best. That, it's, that, I'm very not positive about it.
1: Yeah, it, uh, what a great image, uh, because there is so much compromise in the potential of right what from start, Right from the
0: start, right from the start.
1: Exactly, exactly. And when you think of uh, uh, a, a color associated with the world of experience management,
0: what color comes to mind? Well, I would have to say it's the colors of pride. It's the rainbow, because the idea, the ideal behind it is to serve all. Yeah, excellent. Um, What
1: taste is there in the world of experience?
0: Anything I like has got to be chocolate. So I'm I'm having a hard time getting (laughs) past that. (laughs) It is chocolate for those who enjoy it, for sure. You know, I'd have to say... um, I'll give you a a, a bizarre answer, but um, everyone's wired a little differently. We all have different electrochemistry. A lot of it's the same, some of it's genetic, some of it's acquired, but everyone has their like favorite flavor. And the folks who practice all this fancy fusion cuisine and cooking are able to actually connect right to the brain. So I think the best flavor for customer experience is your best flavor. And that goes back to personalization, understanding who you are, understanding your customers. Yep. But it's different for every single person. And a really good business understands that. Like a quick example, and I'll promise to give you the microphone back.
1: No, Most no. of <laughs> us
0: have one homepage. Amazon has one homepage for every customer. It's different for everyone based on what they know about you. Right. And I think that the taste thing is a little bit more like that. There's, there's so much room for adapting the way you work, your words, your language, your cadence, your offers, everything around knowing more about a particular person. And the idea is not to be, um, I forgot the word, Um, you don't want to be disingenuous, dishonest, you don't want to be creepy or manipulative. It's really about using more of your organizational capabilities to give customers more of what they want. And value is not just perceived in terms of how much of something you get, or how fast you get it. There, I read a, a wonderful article, I think it's called the 30 Elements of Value. Um, it, I wish I could remember the author's name, but 30 Elements of Value will bring you to, uh, right to, I think it's HBR. And they talk about heirloom value, transformation value, collector value. There's so many different ways that we go, You know, that really floats my boat. That really rocks my world. So back to the taste thing, it's up to the individual, but it's the company's responsibility to figure out what that is and to make it easy for the customer to share that. Excellent.
1: And uh, if we were to think of a smell in the world of experience management,
0: what does the world
1: of experience management smell like today?
0: I would have to say it smells like an old motor because everyone's just trying to get the old parts to move a little bit faster. It's not new, it's not clean, it's just like kind of crunch it in there. At least that's the feeling that I'm getting. I can't re- relate a feeling and a smell, yeah, but yeah. it's more like a you know a garage where they're just trying to get that last 50,000 miles out of a car with 350,000 miles on it already. It's, it's the highest and best use of customer experience is not to optimize an existing business. It's to give it new life and help it find a better future. Now, you can use it for both, but that's, that's my personal favorite way to apply it. It's, it's a way to prototype the future.
1: Mike, if you had uh, 30 seconds in the elevator with a CEO of an organization and had to deliver a message, on the importance or where they are or where they where they could go or unlocking the potential of experience management. What would that that conversation be?
0: Well, I'm glad you framed it as a conversation because it certainly wouldn't be an elevator pitch. You have to yeah, listen right. to people before you can say anything and 30 seconds is a, is a short time for a breakthrough. But the, the cadence would go something like this. Um, break the ice, how are you doing? Say who we each are. All right, the elevator rides over, but we have to build some relationship. So what is it that's on your mind and what's bugging you right now? Well, and I did this 100 times in the last couple of years, asking people, like, you know, what's hard for them right now? And it's, it's strategy. It's telling people where we're going to go and how we're going to get there. That's, that's it. They're, they're all focused on the future. Very few, precious few Are looking backwards and that's a good thing because most people used to look backwards in order to you know do the extension forward i forgot the names of all those fancy formulas you know regression curves and stuff like that right right so they're looking forward and they're kind of they're a little bit afraid a little bit shy and a little bit nervous because they don't know they've always been in a role where they have to know what the future is because they were the ones that declared the sales targets the territories the mission of the organization and they had to do it with confidence because their people needed the comfort of knowing that someone was in charge of this big old crazy machine so what happens when the emperor finds out he's got no clothes well what people are asking for is how can i clarify this strategy for going forward and it, it, at the core they don't know what it should be they're finding out one at a time that just doing yesterday's numbers and adding a little bit more isn't working. They've seen a lot of their peers try that and fall behind or stagnate or even have a failed enterprise. So the first thing they wanna know is, you know, where are we going and why? They need to know how to articulate that. But in addition to that, a lot of them are struggling with buy-in and those issues are so tightly related you can't, as a CEO, mandate everything, even a general in an army where there, there are very clear lines of command and control, and you can go to prison if you don't follow an order, even if you disagree with it. It's not that stringent in corporate or you know, nonprofit worlds, but it, it's so hard for leaders to move forward without their teams following them. They know they can't do that. So. I would. Sorry, this is longer than 30 seconds. Oh, this live. is great.
1: This is this is so critical because there is no dialogue uh, with CEOs, with CXOs, uh, generally. Uh, what it is is give me the numbers. Oh, this is great. It's I, I don't see a lot of dialogue.
0: Yeah. Here's what I here's the point that I would try to get across in this elevator ride with with a with a, with a leader, male, female, old, young, whatever. Yeah, it's that, you know, if you want to nail your strategy and you want to get buy in for it, you need to do it open source and you need a way to prototype your strategy for the entire business. You can't just declare and hope because hope is not a strategy. You can't mandate that people do things by the numbers because we live in a world today so different than two years ago where creating some kind of an outcome requires new capabilities in the back end of the business new kinds of coordination a more agile adaptive customer friendly mindset so what you need is a prototyping tool you need some clay that you can kind of form you've seen the commercials on tv where the the designers are like shaping the clay of the car on a wood frame they bring people in to look at it they all think and they they offer their contributions, emotional, like you asked me some emotion and sense questions. Yep. They'll look at some numbers. They'll do all kinds of studies. They have cameras running, so it's easy to analyze. Then the designers go back, and they reinterpret what they just heard and saw and witnessed and felt part of, and they change some of the curves. And that's why the little the little detail on the back of the fin gets raised. It makes people feel a little different. They see the car differently. The, the taillight design or the flash pattern gets a little bit of evolution. When you go through that process with a car, you end up with a better car. Why don't we do that with a business? Why don't we say, like, here's our strategy number one and kind of roll that out in the form of an experience and let people have a chance to kind of see it. And you asked me about power of storytelling. Let me keep, them, keep going for just one second. Go right ahead. When you share a story with people, their brains work differently than when you share a PowerPoint deck or give them a speech that's all about numbers. As humans, we're wired to feel things, to see things, to participate in stories. A lot of times we don't know the difference between a story and an experience. Oh, I went on this great roller coaster ride at Disney, and I went all the way to the top – And I never had a a roller coaster stop. And then the doors open and the Yeti pops out. And then we started going backwards, oh my gosh. See, I'm telling you the story, but you can't help but feel it. So yes, innovative ride design, but the story begets an experience even before you have it yourself. So when you tell your friends about your roller coaster ride, they're experiencing your story. So leaders who can tell stories about futures can calm their teams down can turn resistance into support and can get clear on all the different things behind the scenes, digital transformation, privacy, blah, blah, blah. All those issues can kind of play together in a safe space and then everybody can go work independently to achieve an aligned outcome. And you do all that work up front instead of later, it saves time, it saves money, and it's a lot more fun for people and customers. So, Mike, what would your
1: message be to people in CX whose hands are bound in this, what I call the wine list? That they whine. It's like, <laughs> uh, there are all these things like, no one appreciates what we do, blah, 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 blah. And they acquiesce to becoming part of a department that does reporting and fixing yeah. broken things. Yeah. How do we? create what's the message you would deliver to them that would drive a passion to challenge an organization and it requires some real gumption to be able to fight the inertia
0: within an organization yeah you you know lou i'm having several different feelings and and streams of thought right now i want to go back to individual for a second some individuals need the job for their families. Why would they risk their job? Okay. That's one school of thought. Very, very fair. Another school of thought could be, you know, you're young enough, you're good enough. You really need to make a statement so the whole world can learn from your example, you know, regardless of what happens to the company or what happens to you. There's another one. And then you can go rogue. The really weird part is right now is that I know of almost no colleagues that have pushed against the machine and gotten anywhere. It's a huge problem that you're bringing up, and I'm so glad you're bringing light to it because it needs more attention. The problem is not with our colleagues. It's not with the nature of customer experience. It's with the way we're running our organizations, my opinion, which are more geared to stake. or shareholder outcomes than they are to value creation. Most of CX is used for repair and productivity improvement right now. It's like a by-the-numbers thing, which is why so many people are pushing their process, their formula, their workshop, their certification, because if you follow these steps, you will reach the golden land. Uh Uh-uh. By the time you get to the golden land, everyone else has moved on. It's a loser strategy to follow you have to innovate and there's room for everybody to innovate because all customer groups are different every company has its own dna it's kind of bizarre so um what i think is needed is kind of um i guess the the way to kind of fix the world which is what we're talking about isn't even at the company level it's you know it's a i think we need a new podcast to dive into this. This, one, I this what, gets pretty this, deep. But. <laughs> I
1: would love to do this and actually talk about human experience mm-hmm. and how business experiences and those things fit in. Mike, uh, we we will, I, all through this, I'm like, we've got to do another one of these together. I can't thank you enough. I love
0: you. I really respect you so, so much. Oh, thank you, Lou. Same here. And You're let's ask pretty- people what they want to hear about too instead of us deciding. If you're listening, send a note to Lou, send a note to me, and exactly. ask for the topics that you'd like to hear about. And Lou's phenomenal at that. He'll he will respond. He will sense what you're saying and respond accordingly.
1: Exactly. And what we might try to do, Mike, is do a live webinar or just a call-in. Uh, we'll try to figure something out. I love you. Thank you so very uh, much. You're a very dear pleasure. friend, and I admire, respect you, and. Uh, I miss you so much uh, that we don't get to see each other more often. Be well, my friend. Take care. All right, Lou. Same here. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Clued In with Lou Carbone. If the advancement of the practice of experience management's financial and emotional impact drives you, please reach out to Lou on LinkedIn or visit experienceengineering.com or email us at info at expeng.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of of M Radio.